you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, another installment of our Comparing the Rebuilds series here on the podcast. Today, we take a look at the Miami Marlins, a team that has been in a rebuild for almost five years now and is hoping they are getting to the end of it, but they did just lose 97 games in 2021 after making the expanded playoffs in 2020. So we wanted to know, what is the state of the Marlins at this point? They've got some talent, especially pitching-wise at the Major League level, but how do they turn it into a winning ball club and get out of this rebuild? Well, to find that out, we talk to Aram Layton. He is the former host of Locked on Marlins here on the Locked on Podcast Network and now is the co-founder of Just Baseball Media. You can find his work over at JustBaseball.com, writing, podcasting, everything in between covering baseball, including his team, the Miami Marlins. So we talked to Aram on today's episode comparing what the Orioles are doing to what the Marlins are doing and finding the similarities, but also the differences in how these rebuilds have been going. And we obviously hope the Orioles rebuild doesn't take as long as the Marlins one has, but we will see and we'll see why the Marlins are still in this rebuild part of their franchise history. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, only Orioles podcast out there during this offseason, during this lockout. It's giving you three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can listen to all things Orioles here on the pod. So if you're liking what you're hearing, make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you are a listener on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could throw us a five-star rating and a review on those apps, that surely helps out the pod a lot. But once again, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we're jumping right into it, continuing our Comparing the Rebuilds series here on the podcast. We are comparing the Orioles rebuild to that of the Miami Marlins, which started all the way back kind of before the 2018 season when they eventually traded that star outfield of Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, and Marcel Ozuna. But the rebuild is still going. Even though they did make the expanded playoffs in 2020, they followed it up with a 97 loss season in 2021. So where do the Marlins stand with all their pitching depth? How do they get some better hitters to help this team at the major league level? What does the minor league system look like? How have Kim Ang and Derek Jeter done so far? And how do they compare to the current Orioles rebuild and the timeline that the Orioles are on? We're getting to all that and more right now with Arm Layton. He is a co-founder over at Just Baseball Media and the former host of Locked on Marlins and is one of the foremost experts on the Miami Marlins. And Aram, who has joined this podcast a few times before, is back with us here to compare the rebuilds of the Marlins and the Orioles. All right, so we welcome Aram Layton back into the podcast. He was previously the host of Locked on Marlins here on the Locked On Podcast Network, but now a cool new venture, the co-founder of Just Baseball Media. And Arm, first of all, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast. Of course, man. Always glad to be able to do so. And uh, 
I miss Locked On, so I appreciate the opportunity of uh, getting back on here and talking with you. I know we did some Marlins Orioles crossovers in the past and uh, excited to do a little bit of the same here just with no games to talk about. Right. Yeah, we are hoping soon enough um, we can uh, think about games to talk about. Uh, But we're talking Marlins and Orioles here, part of our Comparing the Rebuild series here on the podcast. And, you know, I just wanted to start with this question. Do you call it? outright a rebuild do the marlins call it outright a rebuild like what is kind of the state of where the franchise is headed right now you know i think they call it a rebuild from what it was when they burnt it down from yelich ozuna stanton and those guys all going real muto getting traded as well i think the way they look at it is 2020 was a year that they made the playoffs obviously it was it was a tough season for development of the minors it was a season at the big league level where a lot of things are i wouldn't say invalid but you take it with a grain of salt uh so i think the way they look at it they're like hey this rebuild was delayed a little bit by covid they're kind of using that as a reason which i think is fair in a lot of ways to to give them more time and i think they're still calling it the same rebuild that it was from then but the point is is once you get outside of four years or so you can't really say we're still in this rebuild at a certain point. You got to say, okay, now we're failing. And I think this coming season is about that point uh, where it's one way or another. Yeah. And I think a lot of fans do know kind of the point of where this started, because as you mentioned, the Marlins had a pretty good looking team back in 2017 and Stanton hit over 50 home runs. And you know they were, I think it's kind of forgotten history that the Marlins were in the NL wildcard race for most of the season in 2017. And then of course, you know, you end up trading Yelich and trading Giancarlo Stanton and, and dealing, you know, a a whole swarm of players. And obviously a whole lot happened, you know, more than that, Uh, you know, even, you know, involving, you know, before that Jose Fernandez and just everything that happened with the franchise. So what do you mark kind of that beginning point of the rebuild? Was there a certain day, a certain move, or you just kind of put it in, in kind of a season it's, it's a great question, man. And, and honestly, you know, I, I, this is not to say that had Jose Fernandez not, you know, died, that they wouldn't still have done the same thing. But but I think and Christian Yelich has said it himself. He said, you know, when Jose Fernandez died, not only did that just cast a shadow on the franchise for obvious reasons, but you lose in and I know it's really hard to, to take it into this context. But just from a baseball standpoint, of course, there's much more important things. But from a baseball standpoint, you lose one of the best young pitchers in baseball. You don't trade him. You don't, nothing, there was no return. He just disappears off your roster. Again, much more important things at stake in terms of a human life. But from a baseball standpoint, at a certain point, you're like, okay, well, that we don't have Jose Fernandez now. And the Marlins were, were starving for pitching. So now you take the, you know, one of the best young pitchers in the game. He's no longer on your ball club. And, and not only that, I, I think it just cast a, a really heavy shadow over the whole franchise, kind of just knowing you're not going to be able to replace him. I think emotionally in terms of what he did to the fan base and also on the mound. I mean, that, that team was desperate for pitching. They had Brad Penny, Vance Worley. Like there was a revolving door of desperation out there. And I know you saw a little bit of that with the Orioles last year, but it was even with a team that was flirting with the wild card. So desperate to, to try to piece together pitching. And I think at that point, once they lost Jose, uh, it was like, you know, how are you going to put together a pitching staff at this point? There's no way. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. And, you know, obviously they held on for another year and, and they competed with still a pitching staff that left a lot to be desired, but they got a lot of, uh, you know, 
not not career years from guys in 17, but but guys pitched better than than they really were that year to kind of keep them in the race. Um, so let me kind of ask this because you know, we know how it's worked out on the other ends. The Brewers got a guy who they can at least say they have one legitimate hitter in their lineup and is an MVP. Obviously, things haven't gone well for Yelich since then. The Yankees have had Stanton in the middle of the order. Orioles fans know it very well, but he's still been injured and he hasn't kind of been Stanton level since going to New York. So from the Marlins side, you know, a couple years down the line, what have been the outcomes of those trades and, and have either of them been wins for the Marlins? You know what the irony is? And I love that question because you would probably say, I mean, Stanton was not as valuable of an asset because of the contract. You would probably say though, that you would expect them to, to get some more monumental return from JT real Muto and, or Christian Yelich. Cause those guys had control, you know, they were on the up and up and yeah, I'd, I'd done a lot of great things. Ironically, Marcelo Zuna was the one that they really hit on there on that trade with the Cardinals where they get Sandy Alcantara. They get not only Alcantara, they get Zach Gallon. And Gallon was later flipped for Jazz Chisholm. So you look at it like you got Jazz Chisholm and Sandy Alcantara for Marcelo Zuna, who was a disaster in St. Louis. And, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, shouldn't even be back in Major League Baseball. But that's besides the point, even from just a baseball standpoint, was not good for St. Louis. Uh, so, you know, that, that trade panned out. The Yelich trade is as catastrophic of a miss as you're going to find. And, and partly you could blame the Marlins and partly you could just blame the fact that it just didn't pan out, right? Lewis Brinson looked like a, like a can't miss top 20 prospect with just ridiculous numbers through the minor leagues. You look at Isan Diaz, Monte Harrison. Those are guys that were fringe to top 100 level guys. And it just hasn't worked out. I think when you are trading away that many major assets for big time deals, you're going to hit on some and you're going to lose on some. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think you either got to do it all the way or, or don't do it at all when it comes to tearing it down. Cause you just got to play the percentages. And I think overall they did a good enough job, right? Like they, they're in a good spot pitching wise. They can't develop hitting for the life of them. I think that's very clear, uh, but they like, they totally had to hit the reset button and they have a lot of pitching, but it's how can they turn that into offense? Now, how can you translate some of that surplus of pitching into offense that's the big question but i think getting out from under that stanton contract they whiffed on the yellow deal they hit on ozuna real muto that one's starting to look worse and worse as Sixto sanchez struggles but again it's just another one of those things that is a little bit out of your control and, and that's why it always says it begs a question usually it's probably better to just keep your stars but you know it's not our money that we're spending here so we'll get back to comparing the Orioles and Marlins rebuilds with Arm Layton in just a second. But first, it's the new year. So that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours might be about getting fit, eating healthier, whatever it may be, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan because Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. They are delicious, covered in 100% chocolate, fantastic flavors like coconut almond, cookies and cream, and many, many more. But here's the great part, which helps you with your New Year's resolution. These bars are healthy without tasting disgusting. They taste great, and they've only got 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein in every bar. You are not going to want to miss out on these built bars. So to get yours, go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The Yelich trade to me 
is the Marlins version of the Manny Machado trade for the Orioles. I mean, yeah. this continues to be talked about that, you know, and the O's I think is a little different because for the Orioles, some of those guys are still question marks because some of them haven't even been to the big leagues yet and are still in the organization. But, you know, Dean Kramer, we'll see, you know, Yusniel Diaz, I think it might be over for him. Ryland Bannon is in AAA, you know, and Zach Pop is on the Marlins now. So, I mean... Yeah. And they've traded late, right? Like they, they could have traded him earlier with control. And is that something that Orioles fans, is that a pain point too? Because you could have got a better return. Yeah. So they, they obviously traded him at the deadline in 18, which was his last year. And basically what happened was in 2017, the Orioles competed. They were a game out of the wild card on September 1st, and then they collapsed in September. And so you go into that September of 2017, that, that 2017 into 18 off season, and you go, okay, Machado has one year left on his deal. We're not going to pay him. We've already figured this out. Like we can't come to an extension with him, but we just competed for all but one month of the season. And the Orioles said, Hey, we've still got Gaussman, Britain, Bundy scope, this, you know, whole team together. Do we run it back one more time? And I think most Orioles fans at the time, including me said, you know what, let's run it back one more time because a lot of those guys were free agents after 2018, not just Machado. And it obviously crashed and burned. You know, people remember that season as, oh, the Orioles traded all their players and then they tanked. They were horrendous with all those players before the trade deadline. And that's why, of course, they traded all of them. So, yeah, that one didn't work out. And they would have gotten more had they traded in that previous offseason. But I think if I was in charge, I would have held on to them. But, you know, that's kind of the, the thing we get to here because, you know, the Marlins did not hold on to any of these stars. And now, you know, they are starting to at least, I think, move in an upward trajectory. I think 2020, at least getting into a expanded postseason, but a postseason, winning a series against a Cubs team that had won the World Series a couple of years ago. I mean, that had to, to make things look up a little bit more. But, you know, where do they – I know we talked about this a little bit, but after 2020 and then you lose 97 games in 2021, like what is the level of worry – on the current plan. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I said it a lot on the locked on Marlins podcast. I think it's an excellent question. It's the, yeah. 2020 was, was a positive, no matter how you want to spin it, right? Like the, you, you got to see some pieces. You got to see that you know, Trevor Rogers could be a dude for you. That Sandy Alcantara was taking steps in the right direction. Like Pablo Lopez had a good year. You're starting to see some dudes translate for you. And you're like, okay, it's starting to make sense here. We still got a lot of work to do though. And that's why when I looked at them going into 2021, I'm like, you got to seize this momentum. I don't think anybody was expecting them to win 90 games, but you made the playoffs in 2021 or 2020. And you want to prove that that wasn't fully a fluke. And they didn't really do that. You know, not only on the field, but they didn't really set themselves up to do that in 2021. You know, they, they didn't really uh, address any of the gaping holes they had. I mean, catching was a disaster. Uh, you look at the infield and there was a lot of holes there. The outfield was even worse. Like it was just a team that, you know, Kim Ang came out and said, we were expecting to be pitching centric. Yes, but you have to hit the baseball. You have to score to win the game. And, and they didn't really set themselves up. And the bullpen too was, was, you know, not in a great spot. So I think for them, it was like, they could have capitalized that and expedited this process a bit. Like we saw the Mariners do after a surprising season. Now they're trying to do it. And I think that's the difference between the two here is the Marlins are hoping for a bunch of things to work out. Whereas the Mariners are trying to seize the moment and, and build on that while hoping some other things work out. 
Uh, I think we're finally seeing the Marlins do that a bit now. Avi Garcia, that's signing, you know, $50 million, a lot of money for the Marlins. Um, and, and they're looking to make some trades too. I mean, we've heard Cedric Mullins. I think he, you know, is probably not going to get moved, right? I'm sure you can speak to that as well. I love Cedric Mullins. But the fact that the Marlins are discussing it, right, is like, okay, they're trying to trade from the pitching surplus and go get some bats. That's the right move. And I think that could really change things. But the fact that they've built out this pitching surplus, I think is a really, really good thing for them because, you know, at the end of the day, that's just assets that you can, you can cash in. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk a little more pitching surplus because, you know, I think the Orioles, when they get to somewhere, you know, it's, it's really interesting comparing these two teams because, you know, the Marlins basically almost lost a hundred games. The Orioles lost a lot more games, but at the end of the day, they, you know, how much different is a 97 loss season and a 110 loss season in terms of, where you're drafting, where you are versus the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But the Marlins, in terms of just talent on the roster, I think have way more than 13 more wins worth of talent on their roster than the Orioles do. Plus, you know, they're in a weaker division than the Orioles are too. So, you know, the question on that, and I know it's it's a lot of issues with hitting, but on the pitching side, you mentioned, you know, Alcantara, Rogers, Pablo Lopez, uh, you know, even going in and getting Lozardo, you know, getting... Uh, Hernandez back late in the year last year and, you know, putting together this rotation of the future, it's kind of the flip side of what the Orioles could be soon where the Orioles continue to draft bat after bat, especially outfielders and, and college outfielders, but bat after bat that their system is stocked full and behind Grayson Rodriguez and DL hall, who I think we all hope and hopefully know will be good major league pitchers is a lot of question marks in the Orioles system for pitching. Whereas on the Marlins side, they got to find a hitter. And so now that they're at that point and, and you talk about, you know, these guys being tradable, when you look up and down this pitching staff and even with the top pitching prospects like Max Meyer, you know, to start with and, and some of these other guys like, like Dax Fulton and, and other guys in the system, like, is there a line drawn? Like, are there certain guys who you wouldn't trade at all for hitting depth at this point or are most guys on the table? It's funny. It's a, it's a wonderful question because it's, it's probably one of the biggest argument talking points in, in Marlins, Twitter, Marlins, you know, fan space. I, I would, I'm of the belief that I would trade almost anybody at this point. Cause I think you're at this point now where it's do or die for this, for this Marlins new ownership group. And, and I think they've got to move the needle. I would make anybody available, but, but what I would say is there's definitely like a threshold where there's guys I'm only trading for Cedric Mullins and, you know, Brian Reynolds, both of which I think are almost untouchable and you'd have to blow them away. Right. So like, those are, there's guys like Max Meyer. I'm only trading for that ball game type of guy. Uh, Yuri Perez, who's an emergent 18 year old prospect that is top 50 now in baseball America and, and is top 50 on just baseball's list as well. Like that's a guy I would prefer not to trade, but almost everybody else should be on the table. I mean, Dax Fulton is really exciting, but he's far away. You're trying to win now. I'm looking at some of those guys. Fulton would be available. Eliezer Hernandez should go. I think that's a guy that I don't know what his value looks like at this point, but that's a guy that you should definitely look to trade. I've heard Pablo Lopez is even on the table in the right situation, which is pretty interesting there as well. So I, I would put almost anybody on the table with, with the line being drawn at him, only trading Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera uh, for a Cedric Mullins type. I mean, that, that's the only way. Otherwise, you know, I think they have enough of a surplus where they can put together a package elsewhere. Yeah. And so that kind of brings me to the next question, because 
as you said, they've already, you know, upgraded with the bats. Abisel Garcia with a, a nice contract to bring him in. He's been a good player, uh, really his whole career. I think he's a very underrated player in baseball. And then to go get Jacob Stallings, you know, and to trade from the pitching depth already. Zach Thompson sending him to Pittsburgh. I think that was a win-win trade for both sides, as long as Stallings can keep up that production from last year. So you look around. And I'm assuming you're hoping the Marlins either make some more deals or free agent signings once the lockout ends to help with the bats. But with these moves starting to be made that are really, you know, going to help right now at the major league level, what would you say the timeline is? Like, do you think Miami, say they pull off a bigger deal with from pitching depth to get a bat, can they compete in 2022? I this team can be sneaky man like and i was very bearish i was very down on them last year if they go get another bat this offense does not need to be better than middle of the pack to uh to be a competitive team i think sandy alcantara down the stretch last year proved that he he's a top 20 pitcher in this game i think trevor rogers i don't think is that far off either i mean when he was on the field was spectacular and it wasn't injury issues for him it was it was family and personal stuff uh, that he had to work through. And, you know, when he came back, finished really strong as well. And then you've got Pablo, who I think is a solid middle of the rotation guy. And then you have any of Sixto Sanchez, hopefully coming back, Max Meyer, Edward Cabrera, uh, Jesus Lazardo being in the mix as well as a guy that I think could, could put it together. Like there's so many irons in the fire there. I think you have a, a potentially really, really, really good rotation. If the offense is just decent, I think this is a team that could that could flirt, you know, with with the 80 win total and play meaningful games into August and September, which I think is is all that you can ask for at this point. Uh, I think they'll obviously come up short, but I think I think 80 games is is, is attainable for this team and uh, I, I, the right step in the right direction. Uh, but if they go out and get a a stud middle of the order Cattell Marte type, then yeah, I think this team could legitimately compete. But but a lot of that will be you know, on the shoulders of is Brian Anderson healthy? Is Garrett Cooper healthy? Cause those guys, not household names, but you know, they can produce a, at an above average clip at the big league level. And, and the Marlins need more guys like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I, we did an episode last week with Ethan Smith of locked on pirates, comparing the pirates to the Orioles. And we felt like, you know, the pirates were on a similar track to the O's. The pirates were probably just one year behind Baltimore in the rebuild it kind of feels like Baltimore's maybe one year behind Miami where the Orioles hopefully could at least make some moves like this next off season where, Hey, they trade from depth to get a good established big leaguer like Stallings. Hey, they go out and you know, they're not throwing Carlos Correa money around, but to get a guy like Abisel Garcia that helps out your baseball team a whole lot. That's what I'm hoping the Orioles can do next off season. But this brings me to where I think everyone who's probably listening and, and, you know, still listening at this point wants to hear about between the Marlins and the Orioles is that all the like hypothetical trades that get talked about between these two teams seem to be with each other. It's Santander, it's Mullins, it's, you know, which of the kind of back end starters from Miami can the Orioles go get? So from someone who knows the Marlins well and knows the Marlins system extremely well, like say Mullins is off the table because I think he is. And on the other side, you know, we'll say obviously a guy like Alcantara and probably Cabrera and Max Meyer, they're off the table. Like, do you see another spot where Miami would target a hitter in Baltimore and there's a pitcher in Miami you'd be willing to give up? I could see a world where Santander is is an option. Uh, and, and that's a guy that I, I've always liked. Gauging his value is, is tough. It's really tough. You know? 
<laughs> because I, I really believe in what he did. Like I believe he's trending in the right direction, but part of me feels like the, the Marlins are, are so desperate for a, a safe bat. And, and I know people are like, well, Cedric Mullins came out of nowhere last year. I think anybody who watched Cedric Mullins last year would, would argue that his bat's pretty safe at this point. I, I'm fully sold on what we saw from him last year. I think he's going to be that all the time, but he, even if he's close to that for the next however many years, he's a very, 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 very good player. That That's the challenge. I, I think the Marlins are past the point where they're trading for upper minors guys. You know, if it was like a minor leaguer for minor leaguer trade or the gallon for jazz type of trade. I think there's something there with Santander. I, I would love to have seen like a, a Mount Castle type of deal. But I, again, I think he's untouchable as well, right? From the Orioles side. Yeah. So I actually really think it's funny how you lay it out. They seem in theory like great partners, but I think because of their organizational preferences, I don't think they're actually great partners unless either side's willing to give on a deal for Mullins and Meyer and whoever else. I, that's the only way I see it happening. And both sides would have to cave because both sides are understandably you know, keeping their assets close to their, to their, to their vest when it comes to those guys. So I actually don't think they're as good of a match as, is the trade machine seems to think. I'm not sure what you think about that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think there's a reason why the only deal that has really been done between these teams is like Isaac DeLeon for Richard Blyer. Like there's a reason that yeah. that is the only deal that's happened, even though all that gets talked about is Santander to Miami. Would the Marlins, you know, have a package for Mullins? Is maybe Austin Hayes going over there? Could Miami take Trey Mancini? Like that's all people want to talk about. And maybe it doesn't happen because the timelines just don't match up for the teams. So we're back to chatting with Arm Layton about the Orioles and the Marlins, looking at their rebuilds in just a second. But first, we're talking about betonline.ag, which would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the NFL playoffs and much, much more in the sports world. Of course, we've got Championship Sunday coming up this week in the AFC. It's the Chiefs and the Bengals and the NFC, a NFC West matchup between the Rams and the 49ers. And now speaking of the NFC, you may know that Sean McVay and the Rams, well, they've never beaten the 49ers. So even though betonline.ag has the Rams favored in that one, maybe you want to go Niners money line. And with a new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website as well. So you can head over there, sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code locked on. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, and you do it at BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. I want to give you a chance to, you know, we talked about Max Meyer, we talked about Cabrera, some of these younger guys. Give me, give me one hitting prospect, one pitching prospect that we could see in 2022 that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, I think both J.J. Bleday and Peyton Burdick uh, will get some run next year. Bleday had a tough year, really finished strong in the Arizona Fall League, made some major swing adjustments that I like a lot, has added some strength so far in the offseason. I think Bleday is actually going to be a dude for them next year. I think he can actually help in the second half of the season. Peyton Burdick, swing and miss, but a great athlete who walks a ton. It's a guy that I think we, we, we could see up there as well. Uh, on the pitching side, I don't, I don't know who, like where they're going to find innings for, for dudes. Uh, I think, you know, I, the guy that pitched at the big league level last year, Anthony Bender is a name to definitely keep watching. Uh, when I look at, at the prospect side of things, pitching wise, 
I would just say he's not going to help next year, but look out for Yuri Perez to become one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. He's 18. He's six foot eight. He throws strikes upper nineties, good feel for secondaries. He's a unicorn. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see what that guy can do, but pitching wise, I mean, Meyer and Cabrera, I think are going to be the guys that can really step in and help them if, if they need anybody uh, to, to chip in, but a, a name to watch that that could also end up being a bullpen arm with a nasty, nasty breaking ball is Zach McCambly. Uh, so look out for him. He could end up late in the year, maybe helping out on, on the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, already enough innings. They got to dish out to guys already in the big leagues at this point. Uh, give me, first of all, I'm going to ask you on two people. First, quickly, give me a grade on the job that Kim Ang has done so far. Oh, gosh. Uh, I would go, I'd go with like a C at this point, but but not at Kim Ang. I don't think it's Kim Ang's fault. I think that she is pretty hamstrung right now with what she is able to do. I, I, I think that it's, you know, I see the opening scene of Moneyball and, and you know, you have, you have the, you know, Tom Cruise, or no, no, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. I just mixed them up. You have Brad Pitt basically asking, you know, what, uh, you know, can you give me a little bit more? Can you give me a few extra bucks? Can you help me? Can you help me? Like, just give me a little wiggle room and I'll do something. And I, I think that's where Kim Ang was at, you know, the, this last year it was, you know, from what I had heard, it's just, she wanted to do things and, you know, they're like, we're not there yet. So I, I give her a cautious C to C plus, just because I think they could have addressed the bullpen a little bit better. Uh, but you know what? They've made some good moves. I love the move she made to go get Lizardo. That really was something I was excited about. And, and so far, I like the offseason. I've always said I want to reserve judgment on Kim until after this uh, this offseason is concluded and we go into next year. Uh, but, you know, I, I was disappointed with the lack of addressing of certain spots going into last year. But again, that was Kim Ang's first year in a new franchise and, and a lot of things. So I'll give her a cautious C+. Plus with, with a lot of room to run, uh, and I'm excited to see what she'll do next year. Right, and we still got plenty of off-season, potentially, uh, once this lockout ends, uh, to get some more things done. This is a question that's been going around Orioles land about Brandon Hyde, because he's only been a manager of this team during rebuilding, and it's a little different for Don Mattingly, because he had lots of other managing experience, and you know he still was around for some success in Miami, but you know, in terms of like a manager, do you think there's going to be like a new guy at the helm maybe when the Marlins are winning again? Uh, I could see that. I could see that. I I feel like Don has really been a good, a good mediator and a, and a, and a really good level head for this young franchise, you know, and, and a great clubhouse guy. But when it comes to game to game, I don't know. I don't know how people really feel about him on that regard. In that regard, and I feel like he's been like that guy to cultivate the rebuild and and keep things positive through that. I think he's earned himself the opportunity to to, to enjoy the positive days. So I, I I am a little bit curious on that. But I could see if the Marlins start to trend in the right direction and his contracts up, I, I don't know if they're going to just just bring in bring in a new guy. I think they'd have to really still exceed expectations. The Marlins win 75 games next year. I don't know if he's going to be the guy moving forward. I think if they really make a push, then he'll kind of force his way to sticking around. But I don't think the franchise is strong one way or another with him as, as far as I've heard. And, you know, I haven't been floored with, with the way he manages games, but I think, I don't know if there's a team out there that is impressed with the way their manager manages most of the time. I right. feel like it's a thankless job. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because it's been a big discussion in Baltimore because, you know, Brandon Hyde 
You can say what you want. He hasn't been given anything to work with in his first three years as Orioles manager. So you can't really grade him out at all at this point. Now, Buck Britton, who is the older brother of Zach Britton, is the rising star manager in the Orioles system. He was in double A this year. He's going to be in triple A next year. And there's talk of, you know, are the Orioles kind of grooming Buck Britton to take over once they are ready to win? And they only extended Brandon Hyde's contract for one more year for 2022. And that's why I wanted to ask that of another team, because, you know, they have more of the established guy who's done a lot of losing and will it change next up. So the last thing kind of tails off of that question that I have for you, one word, what is the year that the Marlins make the playoffs in a 162 game season? I'm going to go 2024. I think with this, the, and I'm being optimistic, but with the surplus of pitching, you can't miss when you make the deal, but they have a chance to get some impact players here. And, and, and I'm going to go 2024. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's the year for the Orioles too. Um, so we shall see, but obviously a little bit tougher division, uh, but we will see how it plays out. But Arm, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we let you go, just uh, wanted to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can find uh, your work at this point and uh, you know, just uh, where they can find you and all the other work over at Just Baseball. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that. Uh, at JustBaseball.com, of course, is where we have all the latest stuff. Orioles top prospects right up, which I did the, the whole system there. Uh, really excited about the bats in that system. And of course, Grayson Rodriguez, one of my favorite guys, but at Arm Late Nate on Twitter at just BB media as well. Uh, and check out new prospect podcast called the call up. Uh, and I'll be having some, some Orioles guys on there uh, in the new, near future. So excited about that as well. Yeah, we will make sure to plug that definitely. And Arm, thank you so much for joining us. And Hey, you know what, if you know, they ever finally do make that Anthony Santander trade that everyone that, doesn't have any inside information seems to keep talking about of course we'll have you back on the podcast absolutely man looking forward to it looking forward to it best of luck with the o's this year too so our thanks again to arm layton again as he said you can find his work over at justbaseball.com doing a lot of podcasting over there doing a lot of writing uh, writing up top prospect lists. They have top prospect lists for the Orioles as well with good breakdowns on the Orioles' top 10 prospects. Make sure to go check it out. Uh, he does some prospect-driven podcasts. He also does a podcast with former Oriole Jeff Conine over there, so make sure to check all of that out. Really great content he's done over there. Of course, formerly was the host of Locked On Marlins here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we've had him on this pod before. He just does a great job covering all things baseball, including the Miami Marlins, and we thank him again so much for joining the pod once again. And really interesting conversation because, you know, when we did our, you know, comparing the rebuilds to the Pirates last week with Ethan Smith, make sure to go check that one out, we talked about how, hey, you know, the Orioles are probably one year ahead of the Pirates, but they're very similar. When we did our episode on Monday with Destiny Legardo comparing the rebuild to the Phillies and, and why Philadelphia's rebuild failed, you know, they're obviously way ahead of the Orioles because they're trying to win again, but we talked about how the teams were initially kind of on similar paths. It's interesting because we did talk about comparisons between the Orioles and the Marlins at this point, but realistically, the way the Marlins have done it and the hoops the Marlins have had to jump through and just everything going on there is kind of unlike how any other team has handled a rebuild. And it has extended the years for how long this is going to take for Miami. Of course, changing GMs in the middle of it, bringing Kim Ang, of course, Derek Jeter coming in as well. It's just a lot of interesting things going on since they, you know, traded their stars on that 2017 team that almost got them 
to the postseason. And, you know, it's really interesting to take a look at at the Marlins' moves and what they've done. And they are adding to the team, you know, getting Jacob Stallings, getting Avisel Garcia so far this offseason. I think they're trying to win in 2022, so we'll see how that works out. But it is really interesting because all we hear about is, you know, how the Orioles and the Marlins might be perfect trade partners. You know, the Marlins have, you know, you could say maybe the most young starting pitching depth that is major league ready in all of baseball, yet they don't have anybody who can hit the ball except for Jazz Chisholm. And even he, you know, went through his his slumps last year despite, you know, maybe turning into a breakout star. But they need some bats. They have too many arms. They've already started doing it. You know, they traded one of their arms, as we talked about, Zach Thompson to the Pirates for a good, you know, veteran catcher who had a really good year in Jacob Stallings. But they still have more work to do, and that's why everybody connects them to the Orioles because the Orioles have a plethora of outfielders. The Marlins need a lot of outfield help, and the Orioles have all these great hitting prospects, but not a lot of great pitching prospects behind Rod. And D.L. Hall, so everyone talks about, you know, Austin Hayes or Anthony Santander, even, you know, Cedric Mullins, which I don't think is going to happen, or some of the guys below them, you know, a, a Neustrom or Stowers or, you know, Yusniel Diaz or whoever it may be to the Marlins to get one of these, you know, fringy pitching prospects to come back to Baltimore to help out a team that needs pitching. But Arm made a good point there at the end. Just because the philosophies of these two teams, even though the trades might match up, because they both value their players so much, those kind of trades may never happen between the two sides, despite the fact that we talk about them so, so much. But I still think some sort of deal might happen in the future that's not, you know, Richard Blyer uh, that happens between the Orioles and the Marlins, but we shall see. But again, thanks to RM Layton for joining the podcast once again. We've got one more episode here this week. And it looks like we'll be continuing this series. How about Friday? We take a look at the Detroit Tigers, a team that has been really bad like the Orioles over the past couple of years, but uh, they were surprising in 2021. Now, they didn't finish with a better than 500 record, but they finished the season strong. They've made some big signings this offseason already, signing Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez to big deals. They are looking to win baseball games in 2022, so maybe they're a year ahead of the Orioles in their rebuild. So we'll talk about how they compare to the O's on Friday's episode. Also talk a little bit of CBA negotiations because things seem to be trending in a positive direction maybe early this week. And we'll also talk Hall of Fame results as well. But that's all coming up on Friday's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.